Thank you all for, for coming out tonight. Um, it's all right. I dare say if, if uh, I had been clashing with, with the Rangers match, I might not even have been here to, to listen to myself. So I thank you for being here tonight. And thank you to William for giving me the opportunity to, to share with you. And I guess what, what prompted the invite here tonight uh, was a, a trip that I went on uh, recently to Romania, Poland, and Hungary, meeting people who are working with refugees coming out of Ukraine, but also working to get supplies into Ukraine. And I was given that opportunity because I work for, for Biblica. So before I share about my trip, uh, I do want to tell you a little bit about Biblica. Biblica's story started over 200 years ago. Uh, when in 1809, a group of, of Christians, including some prominent businessmen, uh, gathered together in lower Manhattan in New York to discuss the city's spiritual needs. Their motivation for doing that? Well, really, they believed that God's word could transform their city. Really, what, what William was, was praying there, the words in this are God-breathed and can be transformational. And so they formed at that stage the, the New York Bible Society. And one of their first projects was sharing God's word with many immigrants who were entering into the U.S. through Ellis Island. And the society grew early on. Um, it, it had a lot of growth. And it's, it funded its first foreign language Bible translation, which was William Carey's Bengali Bible translation. You probably have heard of William Carey at least. And this began a long history of, of Bible translation work around the world, and then they expanded that into uh, providing Bibles to the military, to prisoners, uh, to refugees. And as an organization, it has always been keen to, to reach people with God's word in new and innovative ways. And one early example of that was, was uh, creating a Bible in Braille and providing those Bibles. In 1968, the New York Bible Society became the translation sponsor of the new international version of the Bible. And when this groundbreaking translation was first published in 1978, it became the, the best-selling contemporary English translation of all time. And the initial print run of the NIV sold over one million copies even before those copies were fully printed. And even, even if you didn't know about Biblica before tonight, if you happen to have, and I'm sure many of you have, an NIV Bible, if you went to the front of that and read in all the small text there, you will see that Biblica hold the copyright, the licensing for the NIV. And, and there's no reason why you should be reading those bits of your Bible. The important stuff is in the rest of the Bible, but you'll find Biblica's name in there. In 1988, the name was changed to the International Bible Society to, to better reflect a new and widening scope of their ministry. And in 2009, it became Biblica. And today, Biblica partners with, with like-minded organizations in many, many countries uh, across the globe, ensuring that God's word reaches those who need it most. And I bless the work for Biblica. Um, part of my role in Biblica is, is gathering stories, stories about how God's word is transforming people's lives. And I see that what Biblica was way back in the 1800s and 1900s is, is in many ways what it still is today, because at the heart of the organization is translation and accessibility to the Bible. Biblica's mission is to provide the Bible in accurate contemporary translations and formats so that more people around the world will have the opportunity to be transformed by Jesus Christ. And the tra translation work today focuses on strategic languages to get the Bible to, to more people. And Biblica sits within the Illuminations movement, and, which means we join with other Bible translation agencies to, to generate resources and to best use those resources to get, words, get God's word to every tribe and to every nation. Last week, I was at an Illuminations event in Scotland, which was highlighting the need for investment into translation work. In this part of the world, we have uh, incredible access to God's word, whether that be the NIV 
or the ESV or the King James Version or the Good News Version or the, the New Living Translation of the Bible, whatever your preference. I have all of those at home, and I'm sure you have multiple translations at home as well. But for many people in our world today, this is their Bible. If you allow me to flick into that, do you see that? There's not one word in that Bible because there's over one billion people in the world today who still do not have God's word in their language. We talk a lot about poverty these days. There's a lot of people who suffer from Bible poverty because of over the, over, there's about over 6,000 vital languages in the world that it's spoken in the world today. And of those there's approximately 3,677 have little or no scripture in their heart language. But the Illuminations Movement has, has a goal that by 2033, which is not that long away, that all of the world will have access to at least a portion of scripture in their language, with 95% having a full Bible and 99.96% having a New Testament in their language. The translators are there, the technology is there to help that happen, but there is a cost to that. To translate a new translation into a new language costs a lot of money. It's, it's a big task, but I'm excited to be a, a tiny, small part of a movement that is working to eradicate Bible, Bible poverty. Do look us up on Facebook, uh, Biblica Europe. Find our website. Uh, biblicaeurope.com. Um, I've just posted a story on that today about, I'll just share with this, this with you quickly. Uh, Biblica recently released a new Turkish translation, so a contemporary Turkish translation of the Bible. Um, many Turkish people are, are in all parts of Europe. And over Easter, uh, a Turkish-speaking church in London uh, got their young people involved in, in sharing uh, it was Turkish. It was the Gospel of Luke in Turkish, uh, and in that Gospel, there were some specific explanations in that for people maybe from a Muslim background, uh, the kind of questions that they would have. And incredibly, through the work of those young people in London in that church at, at Easter, there were over 20 people came from that background, came to faith in Christ, and were baptized in a lake in London over Easter time. So that's why I love doing what I'm doing. I get to find out those things, how God is using his word today to transform lives. I do want to get now to, to sharing a wee bit about my trip um, and how you can maybe perhaps have a role in getting the Bible into the hands of a Ukrainian person. We know the horrific backdrop to what is going on in Ukraine. And yet what I will share with you tonight, I, I think will bring you hope because of what I saw on my trip were, were Christian people who God had prepared to be there and to respond in this crisis. You'll hear tonight how, how individuals are responding to God's call in their lives. You'll hear tonight about how people are responding to the gospel, how Ukrainian people are crying out for Bibles, how Ukrainian people are wanting to know how to learn, to, how to, are wanting to know how to pray to God. I was privileged on my trip to spend time with, with some of the most amazing people that I have ever met. And tonight I want to uh, introduce you to some of them. On Wednesday the 30th of March at 8.30 a.m. in the morning, I turned on my laptop to find an email which said, could you be in Romania by tomorrow morning to travel with a couple of people to then go on to Poland and Hungary to meet people who are helping with those caught up in the crisis in Ukraine? And it was only at 2 p.m. that afternoon that it was confirmed that I was going to go on that trip. And I then immediately had to, to get down to booking eight flights to, to get to Romania, Poland, Hungary, and home and work out accommodation and to be out of the house uh, by 5.30 that afternoon to get a flight to London. My son, who arrived home from school, uh, to find me shaking at my computer as I panically panicked to, to make those plans, started to get me some clothes and pack them in a case for me. 
He tried to phone his mom, uh, but like all good school teachers, uh, Alison wasn't answering her phone. Uh, so we eventually got her at half four, uh, and Joel said to her, Mom, you have to come home quick. And she said, why, what's happened? Well, nothing's really happened, but Dad has to be at the airport uh, before six o'clock tonight. So I flew to London uh, that night, uh, and then the next morning I flew to Romania, uh, and I flew into a town called Sukieva. And our first stop when we landed in Sukieva was to go to the border uh, between Romania and the Ukraine. That's some pictures that I, I took at the border. And it was really encouraging when we got there to see how some big organizations had responded uh, to this crisis, but also some smaller ones as well. At the top there, in the middle, uh, it's just a small youth group from the town of Sukieva, a group of girls who had come together and were making food for some of the refugees coming over the border. It was quiet the day that we were at the border. Uh, there may have been a few people coming across, but we, we wondered why it, it was so quiet, because we had heard that this was the busiest crossing from Ukraine into Romania. What we found out was that when we were there, there were 50,000 Ukrainian people just on the other side of the border, sitting waiting, sitting waiting to see what Putin and his troops were going to do next. And, and I wondered why... Why, having traveled to that part, having traveled to the border, why did they not just cross on over? Well, this was something that we learned as we visited other people on our trip, and, I, and I'm speaking in very general terms here. But the reality is that the first wave of people who came out of Ukraine were people who had money, were people who had relatives in other parts of Europe, people who knew they had somewhere they could go to, somewhere safe to sleep. And the second wave of people, those people who were just at the border when we were there, were poorer people. They didn't have excess money in the bank. They didn't have relatives in other parts of Europe. And they knew that when they crossed the border, they were going into unfamiliar territory. And they didn't want to leave their country. I'm sure many of you feel the same too. You wouldn't want to be forced out of your own country. But these people knew that that was a, a reality that was coming soon, but they were putting it off as long as they could in the, in the hope that they didn't have to do that because if they stepped over, when were they going to get back? What were they ever going to get back to? So they were leaving it until they absolutely had to cross over. And the reality was that time was coming very soon for those people. What worked when I, when I shared some of these stories in my own church, so I'm going to do that again here tonight, is, is that I want to get you to think about the Bibles and think about potential resources that people in Ukraine could use. And I want to take you on a journey as to how those Bibles, those resources may travel into Ukraine. There are, of course, other partners who are distributing Bibles and distributing resources, so this is just one route. So let me first show you the resources. That's the that's New Testament in Psalms in Ukrainian. You'll recognize those Ukrainian colors. Um, next up, we have a booklet called Survivors. This is obviously in Ukrainian. Survivors is a, is a first response to provide children with a resource during moments of crisis. Next up, we have the Gospel of Mark in a, in a contemporary style with, with images to, to catch people's attention, aimed at that kind of 20 to 30 age group. And the final resource is called, in English, it's called When Your Whole World Changes. And it uses various Bible passages, bringing unique perspectives to the experience of anxiety and suffering in the face of uncertain times. And these resources do not cost the earth to produce. For example, 20 pounds would pay for 10 of the New Testament and Psalms. The survivors, when your whole world changes, uh, and the Gospel of Mark, are, they're about a pound each. In fact, the, uh, the kids' resource, survivors, is like 75p. So they're not expensive, but it's the quantities that are needed that makes it a big job. 
It was Biblica's plan to, to launch the, the New Testament and Psalms in June of this year. And the plan was to, to print 10,000 copies of that new Ukrainian translation. But the invasion of Ukraine by Russia brought all of that forward. And since the war began, uh, the last I heard, we had printed 150,000 copies which had been distributed. That, that, I'm sure, has gone up already because there were other partners waiting for 350,000 copies. The couple of, of men that I was traveling with, their organization alone was looking for 250,000 copies. Other organizations like YWAM were looking for millions of copies because they knew people needed them. As I said, the price, the per unit price is small, but it's the quantities that makes it a big, big task. For now, let me take you to the first stop on the journey, potentially for these Bibles and resources. And the first stop is with an organization called Bread for Life in a, in a, in a town in Romania called Brosteni. It's about two hours drive from, from, the, from Soret on the border. And Thursday and Friday of the time I was there was spent with a guy called Aline uh, from Bread of Life. And Aline is standing in the middle there. Bread of Life was founded in the US uh, but a mirror organization started in Romania in 2001, uh, headed up by Aline's father. And Aline manages, amongst other things, an orphanage in Brosteni. And I don't know about you, but when I think of Romanian orphanages, uh, I'm taken back to those horrific scenes whenever Ceausescu was overthrown, and we got insight into what orphanages were like in those days, and it was horrific, the conditions that children were living in. This orphanage was not like that. As we ate our breakfast, um, we, were, we were greeted by, by happy children smiling and waving at us, um, pleased to see some visitors in their orphanage as they nipped into the kitchen to collect a banana before they headed off to school. You can perhaps see Aline at the bottom there praying with, with some of the kids. These kids loved him. Whenever we arrived, they all came up to him and they were, they were hugging him. And in this Christian orphanage, these kids get access to, to education. They have Bible time every day. And it's not straightforward, as you can imagine. Uh, some of the kids come from a Roma background and they struggle to adapt to the, to the structure um, and the routine of being in the orphanage. There's a couple of pictures here. Of, of photographs on the walls. And I, I was intrigued by these and I automatically assumed these were pictures of kids who had, who had been through the orphanage and had gone on to other things. But Aline said, no, these are pictures of the kids who are currently in the orphanage because if they were in their own house, they would have their school photographs up on the wall. They would have family photographs up on the wall. So the whole concept in this orphanage is to make this seem as much like home as possible. But you might be asking, what has an orphanage got to do with transporting Bibles into Ukraine? Another feature of Bread of Life, another part of their ministry is, is a feeding center. And they have partnered with local churches to distribute food, like a food bank that you'd be familiar with. And during the COVID pandemic, they pivoted into providing food banks, food packs for families who had to isolate uh, during COVID and had to stay at home. But as the war in Ukraine started, they pivoted again to get food and resources into Ukraine. And incredibly, the kids in this orphanage got involved in, in making up the packs of essential supplies for refugees. At the start of the war, they had a warehouse. This is a picture, some pictures from their warehouse. They had a warehouse that, was, that had enough food in it that would have kept them and their ministry going for two years. But as they saw people in Ukraine with a greater need, a greater immediate need than them, they shared that food. And within two weeks, their resources were depleted. I think that in itself is a great challenge and a lesson for us who have a lot to not hold tightly to what we have whenever there are people with a much greater need than us. It's also a real challenge for us, I think, that these orphan children in Romania who have their own needs, who have their own vulnerabilities, have been helping 
with the relief effort in Ukraine, no doubt prompted by the love that has been shown to them. The warehouse here would potentially be the first stop of Bibles and other resources in Ukrainian. But to get these Bibles into Ukraine, we need a bigger operation. Aline and his operation couldn't do that. So let me introduce you to George Ignat. George was born in Romania in 1983. He grew up in a, in a secure family, a hardworking family. He had, he had both parents, he had an older sister, he had a younger brother. And George started Greco-Roman wrestling when he was 12 years old. And within two years, he was national champion. And he went on to be national champion for 10 years in a row. He went on to have a career as a mixed martial arts fighter, a cage fighter, if you're familiar with that. And he is otherwise known as the Carpathian Bear, uh, near where we were with the Carpathian Mountains. When we were up visiting the, the warehouse that I showed you pictures of, Aline told us that there were bears in the mountains. I quickly got into the warehouse at that point, just to be safe. But George, George had a family. George has a family. He's married. He has four boys. But George made mistakes along the way. And frustrated by a lack of money in his sport, George got mixed up in crime, and he ended up joining the Romanian Mafia. When I met him, I just could not imagine that. This was a gentle man. This was a huge man but a gentle, softly spoken man with a heart of gold. George came to faith along the way when he knew that nothing else in life was going to satisfy. When everybody else disappointed, when the friends that he had when he had money disappeared when he got into trouble, when the money that he did have did not bring fulfillment. But because of his past, Two to three years after George became a Christian, he had to go to prison in Romania. George said, I had to pay my dues to society. I went inside the prison in Romania in 2015 with one thought in my mind, only to serve Christ and to work for the enlargement of his kingdom. And inside prison in Romania for the two and a half years that George was there, George ran Bible studies and lots of inmates came to that. And in those two and a half years, 24 inmates came to Christ. I was talking to the CEO of Prison Fellowship International just last week, and he said he hears that kind of story so often. It's amazing, isn't it, how our God uses people's circumstances and even the trouble that they get themselves into to work out his plan. While he was in prison, George kept seeing people reoffending and, and coming back to prison and, and George had a vision of building a place where people coming out of prison could go to to learn a trade to, to have a roof over their head to, to sleep to eat to learn job skills and most importantly to meet Christ George said I believe that the only one who can transform a life so deep that the person is so transformed that they never go back to the life before is Jesus Christ so George set up Fight for Freedom. The organization is just three years old and they bought this building and they were refurbishing it bit by bit with the plan to house prisoners. It's called Freedom House. George says we want people going through this place to get to know the freedom they can have in Christ. But this place is currently being used to house refugees. It's also being used as a base to get supplies into Ukraine. In the very early days of the invasion, people were coming through here and spending two to three days to, to get a breath, to rest, to get showered, to get some food before they moved on. But George said, we, we are now seeing more people who do not have connections or friends elsewhere in Europe, so we are finding them different places to stay in Romania. When I asked George, whether people fleeing Ukraine were willing to engage in conversations about God, this is what he said. You would be surprised that a lot of people we talk to accept God straight away. 
We wish this situation had never happened, but many are responding. It is the right time for them to rely on Christ. George said that they need Bibles for the people who are passing through Freedom House. George's business experience comes into play when we think about how we get our Bibles into Ukraine. And Freedom House is already acting as an exchange point for, for supplies, for food and, and clothing and all those other kind of things. For example, resources go to Bread of Life. Then they get moved on to, to George's place and they get moved into bigger trucks before they get transported into Ukraine. George had a, a map on his wall. It's just along from that picture that you can see there. I didn't take a picture of it for security reasons, but this map showed their roots into all the major population centers of Ukraine. From where they were traveling, it was like seven hours to Kiev. It was a further two hours to Kharkiv. So it wasn't short journeys, and they would take their fuel with them. They would only stop to unload, to refuel. And now it's becoming more often that they have to, to stop at different places because the roads are being destroyed, and they have to move the, the, the supplies onto smaller vehicles. Just yesterday, I got an update to say that they have now taken supplies into 58 cities in Ukraine. And when they drop supplies off to these major cities, George said that people want Bibles. In fact, he said people are begging for Bibles. So at this stage, we've got our Bibles. We've maybe, they've maybe stopped off with Aline for a while. We've moved them on to George's place. And he can take them into the major cities, but how do we get them distributed when they get there? Let's meet Oksana. Oksana is sitting there in the front. Um, I can't work out my left from my right, so as I look at it, she's the second in from the, my right, so that's probably the same for you. Um, I met Oksana at Freedom House. Oksana Mutz and her husband Ruslan have their own business in Ukraine and they also run various ministries to women and children. I believe they, they're involved in, in a particular sports ministry to introduce people to the gospel. And Oksana is an expert in, in trauma healing and they, and they live where they lived in Kiev. Oksana has two sons, that's Ruslan at the back in the middle and the two sons and they have two daughters, and a girlfriend of one of the sons is also pictured there, which is why we have a, an extra girl in the picture. And when Russia invaded Ukraine, this family left their home, and they headed to cross the border into Romania. On that day, it was announced by President Zelensky that, that men aged 18 to 60 could not leave the country. So Oksana and her two children, the two girls, crossed the border while her husband and the two sons stayed in Ukraine. Oksana actually only knew one other person who was in Romania. What was she gonna do? Well, what should we all do when we need direction in our lives? She prayed. Oksana prayed and she promised God with these words, I will do everything you ask. Just give me strength and give me the right contacts who can help me to help my people in Ukraine. And through that one person, Oksana knew she was introduced to, to George, the Carpathian bear. And that is why we met her at Freedom House. Oksana is now working with, with George using the contacts that she had in Ukraine, including all those hardest hit places like Mariupol and Kharkiv, all those places that you hear about on the news. And she is coordinating the work of 5,000 volunteers on the ground to distribute supplies and to help get people to safety. Ruslan and the boys are in the western part of Ukraine but through the ministries and through their business, they have contacts all over the country. Oksana said God had been preparing them for years using their previous experiences for this time, giving them the contacts 
that they have to be able to serve him in this way. When we were chatting with Oksana, I just was in awe of the strength of this woman because she smiled throughout our conversation, even when she was telling us about having to cross into Romania and leave her, her husband and her boys in Ukraine. She, didn't, she doesn't know, she still doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And I ask you another question, where does a person like that get such strength? I think you know the answer to that. And God has been directing Oksana's steps in Romania. With the uncertainty at the start, Oksana didn't know how long she should stay or plan to stay in, in Romania. So she prayed again, and these are Oksana's words. I said to God, I will stay here. I will do what you want, but how long should I stay here? She told us that she asked her husband, what do you think, how long should we plan to stay here? How many months? He said, okay, let's look for, for accommodation for three months or six months. Oksana said, when I started to look for an apartment, it was not easy to find one. Then the guy in the office found one apartment and when I went to see it, it was a miracle from God because the owners are Christians and I was very happy for that. And when we started to talk, everything was perfect. But one of the rules, the owner said, we're supposed to rent for a minimum of one year. And I didn't have a choice because the deadline to sign the contract was today. I didn't even get a chance to talk to my husband. But I said, okay, God, if this is what you want, I will do it. The next day we had visitors from a relief team who came to Freedom House. And after I talked with one of them, he said, can I ask you a personal question? I said, yes. And he said, what is your need? And I told him I had promised God two things. That I will never ask for money for my family because God will take care of us. And I will do everything I can for God. And this man left, but he came back and he brought me money and he said, I want to give you this money. And the money that he gave me was enough to cover the rent for one year. I had not even told him that we had signed the contract for one year. This was the second sign from God that we were here for a year. And the next day, I had to go to the office to sign documents because I, I needed to be official to stay in Romania. And they gave me documents so that I can stay here one year. And I said, okay, God, I understand. You've told me three times. You show me I should stay here one year. She went on to tell me, I don't know what will happen in one year, but I prepare my mind. I prepare my daughters. I spoke with my son and I told him that God has shown me this three times. And he just said, okay. Not knowing what will happen in one year, not knowing if they will have a home to return to, not knowing what might happen to her husband and her two sons, Oksana is trusting in God because Oksana knows the God of this Bible. She said, I told my daughters, we will never be alone. God is with us. And because Oksana knows the God of this Bible, she wants other people to know that God too. I asked her how open she thought people were to, to discussing things about God uh, and to, to reading his word. Oksana said that people are open like never before. They're looking to God. They know that nobody and nothing can save us, only God. They have seen how Christians are helping them and they want to learn how to speak to God, how to read the Bible. This is a special time to share and a real opportunity to give people Bibles because they are trusting God. I want to take us to Poland now because that's where we travel to next and I don't have time to share a lot of what we, what we did in Poland. But we arrived, we left Romania and it was nice and sunny. We arrived in Krakow in the, in the snow. We discovered that our bags had got left in, in, our, in Warsaw, in a, where we made a flight connection. I thought I was packing smartly for the flight by leaving my coat in the bag. 
uh, not so smart after all when you get out and it's snowing. But Krakow is a beautiful city. It's a city, it's a place on, on the trip that we, we saw the most of because we covered a lot of ground. So why did we go to Krakow? Why would we need Ukrainian Bibles in this Polish city and in other cities around Poland? Well, according to up-to-date data, which I read yesterday, there are now approximately 5.9 million people have left Ukraine. There's, there's maybe seven or eight million have, have relocated within Ukraine. Poland have taken the vast majority of the people who have left Ukraine. As of yesterday, that's more than 3.2 million. Poland has shown itself to be an incredibly welcoming country. But one thing about Poland, and I didn't know this before the trip, is that Poland would have reason to actually not be very welcoming to Ukrainians. From a conversation that I had with a, a pastor's wife in Krakow, both her and her husband's family had lived in a, in a, in a part of, of Ukraine or Poland uh, which was contested between the two countries uh, and sometimes violently contested between the two countries. And we're only talking like one or two generations ago. But what is also true of Poland is that because of how they suffered as a nation under Nazi Germany in World War II with, with concentration camps like, like Auschwitz, and even though they do have perhaps justifiable reasons for not forgiving and not being welcoming to Ukrainian people because of what they had done to them, because of their experience and how they suffered under Germany, they are not going to stand by and let another nation suffer under another superpower. And I find it absolutely mind-blowing that there's not one camp as such in Poland with those 3.2 million Ukrainians that they have. There's not one camp because Polish people cannot stand the idea of camps when they know what their own people suffered, how their own people suffered in camps in World War II. And so they try their very best to make sure that Ukrainian people get settled with a proper roof over their head and most often in a home. I think that's incredible. I think it's a real challenge for us, especially those of us who are Christians, growing up and living in a, a divided society, a society who we, we don't even know by the end of the week whether we have a, an assembly that's going to sit or not. But this is a real challenge to forgive, a challenge to care for other people who, like us, are made in the image of God. We need more of that in our world. And the people of Poland show us how to do that well. When we were in Krakow, I met Daniela. Uh, this is us at, at lunchtime. Uh, not hard to pick out Daniela from, from that group picture. Beside her is Pastor Wojciech, uh, a Polish pastor uh, in Krakow. And it was his wife that I, I was talking about earlier. At the back of the table are Charles and Mark from Run Ministries, the, the two, two men that I was traveling with. And then in the foreground uh, on the other side is, is Pastor Jonathan, an American uh, who is based in Europe. Daniela is, is, is tex from Texas. Uh, she's of Mexican descent and she's working as a missionary in Pastor Wojciech's church. Daniela moved to Krakow just before the first COVID lockdown and when the war started, her, her friends and her family all sent her money and told her she needed to come home because she was too close to what was going on. But she didn't leave. Daniela said, how could I go home when this was happening? Just a few days before we arrived, Daniela's boyfriend had organized a, a big group video call uh, with their families. And on that call, he, he actually proposed to Daniela. Her boyfriend, Mark, is Ukrainian. Mark was calling from Ukraine. Mark was in a bomb shelter 
in Ukraine where he is running a school for children who cannot escape from the war, trying to bring a bit of normality to kids in horrific circumstances. Incredibly, somehow, I don't know how, Mark and Daniela have managed to get married uh, a couple of weeks after I came home. I saw the pictures. Pastor Jonathan, who I showed you, uh, married them via Zoom. Again, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but they did it. I don't know why they did it, but they're married. Another little glimmer of hope in a horrific story. One final story or one final person I want to share with you about. Uh, Victoria, in this picture here. Victoria's husband is called Anatoly. And Anatoly is the deputy secretary of the, the Bible Society in Ukraine. And the invasion of Ukraine has separated them uh, as a family. They, th their house has been destroyed, blown up. But they haven't left their country. Anatoly stayed in Kiev while Victoria is down in the southwest of the country and they're both coordinating hubs, looking after people, getting resources to people. We actually met Victoria in Hungary. She was on her way back into Ukraine. She had just taken her two young children to a safe part of, of Europe and she was traveling back in. So a family completely separated by this war. Victoria said to me, when you look into the eyes of the Ukrainian people, you see hopelessness, helplessness, and pain. Every day, people are more and more traumatized. However, she added, when you see people who are crying, thank you for the Bible, thank you for bringing me out of the bombs, that's when you know you're in the place where God wants you to be and doing what he wants. People like Victoria had the opportunity to, to, to get out of Ukraine, but they haven't. Christian people like Victoria have stayed to serve. And it's people like that who will be sharing our Bibles as they continue to give food to people who cannot get out. A few days after I returned home, Victoria actually traveled up to Kiev, certainly braver than me, but she traveled up there to, to spend the day with her husband, Anatoly. Let me read you what she said about that day. Today is the happiest day of my life, without any exaggeration. Since the first day of war, my hero has stayed in Kiev to serve the people. All these days, I have prayed, the Lord for, prayed to the Lord for my husband's life. And although our meeting was very short, for just one day, it was the happiest day of my life. I'm grateful to God for life. I'm grateful to God for moments of happiness. Thank God for the opportunity to live full life and be useful. Victoria and Anatoly didn't spend the day going out for a walk, having a romantic lunch because they continued to serve God giving out food and giving out Bibles. And while I haven't dwelt much at all on what is actually going on there, the, the back, backdrop to, to what's going on for people, as we come towards the end, I, th I think we should be reminded of the destruction and devastation that is going on. Some more words from, from Victoria about her day with Anatoly. Anatoly and I we spent the day ministering to people, holding each other's hands. We had a chance to serve other people. God gave us wonderful opportunities to visit many people in need, giving them food, handing out Bibles. The towns of Busia and Gostamel are the cities where so much war crime took place, where they tortured our people and they mocked them. These towns have been severely shelled, lots of dead bodies. Today, Busha was closed off so we couldn't get inside the town, but God did his miracle and some military men led us in and we had a chance to help the people in need and brought them food. 
It's tremendously painful to look at people's pain there. When we arrived in these towns, people crawled out of basements, black all over, black faces and black hands. They had spent weeks in those basements without light or heating, electricity, food and water. It was such an awful sight to see. And people were desperate to get some food and water. All of them were crying. Each and every person wanted to talk to us. Each one was eager to share their story. There were little children with whom we could spend some time in fellowship. And I'm praising God for this opportunity to bring a little bit of light into these people's lives. As the chaos unfolded in Ukraine, I told you earlier that Biblic had plans to release their new Test the new contemporary version of the Ukrainian New Testament in June. We were able to bring that forward in terms of initially uh, an app, a, Ukraine, uh, a Ukrainian Bible app for people to access this resource and the kids' resources. And there's now been over 300,000 downloads of that app within the borders of Ukraine. But there is such a need for printed resources for people who cannot access phones, for those without electricity, uh, for those without internet, for those who are crossing the border and just are accepting of anything they can get to hold in their hands, for those people who are crying out for God's word. I want to finish with a, a short video. It's about the Ukrainian translation. This video was made three years ago, before long before this war kicked off but it was at the time when Biblica had just started their work on translating the Bible into this new contemporary Ukrainian version so much of what is said in this video still resonates strongly today Ukraine is the second largest country in Europe and yet it's a country that has gone through huge turbulence over the last hundred years. People have had to suffer invasion, occupation, communism, repression, revolution and the church has been right at the centre of this. During the last 70 years Ukraine was out of Bible because communist regime control all country. My father was a pastor in Soviet time. And one day he walked to the marketplace and he find some guy who give Bible and he exchanged that Bible for his shoes. And because of that, God make a big miracle in his life and God saved all our family. People here in Ukraine very spiritually hungry. They need Jesus. Because we have war with Russia, we have one huge problem. Soviet regime tried to build one nation, Soviet nation, and because of that, Ukraine language was completely destroyed. When we get independent and freedom, a new generation of people start to use more and more Ukrainian language. Now it's very prestige to use Ukrainian language, but we have huge big problem. Ukrainian translation, it's very difficult to use that translation. It's very complicated. And many pastors, they spoke Ukrainian, but they read Russian Bible because we, we don't have good quality translation. It would be hard to imagine studying God's word in the language of an oppressor for all the associations that those words and that language has for those people. The alternative could be a 19th century Ukrainian language where they don't understand the words or the intent and the meaning. Um, and so there's an urgency to bring about the scripture in Ukrainian. In our days, children do not 
study Russian language anymore. They don't read Russian language anymore. So after 10 years, we will end up with a generation that cannot read all of the Russian language materials that we have. The younger generation coming through desperately needs scripture in their heart language. And so there's an urgency to bring about the scripture in Ukrainian. Each of us understands the work of God better in our own language. So we believe that a new Ukrainian translation is a work of God that will bring God's blessing to our nation. When we first met with biblical representatives, we could tell they were well prepared for this project. And we are urgently praying that this new Ukrainian translation will be finished and available as soon as possible. And right now there's this opportunity to influence a nation, to have scripture that they can share with their friends, with their community, with their children, but ultimately it will introduce them to the love of God. People was just hungry, they looking for Bibles. We need good quality translation in Ukrainian language. The people of Ukraine are in a in a vastly different situation whenever that translation work started. I dare say some of those lovely images that we saw of the buildings in Ukraine have, have been destroyed. But that much needed translation that was talked about there is available now. That was a different pastor, Anatoly, who was sharing an incredible story about how his father exchanged his shoes for a Bible, and from that the whole family were saved. Pastor Anatoly also stays within Ukraine and is serving people there at this moment of time. Imagine that the Bible that you paid for was the thing that God used to transform the lives of even one person, maybe a family. Of course, this isn't the only translation that Biblica are working on and, and the gifts that we receive that come in for, for translation work are used where the, where the need is greatest at that moment in time. And for now, the greatest need is Ukraine. And you can give Ukrainian people the hope that they will find in the gospel because God is working in the hearts of the people of Ukraine. He's working through people who he has been preparing for this time, people who love him, people who know his word, people who know the hope of the gospel and people who want to share that hope of the gospel with others. And incredibly in God's big story, we can be part of that. We can be part of trans the transformation of, in people's lives by sharing some of our wealth in purchasing Bibles to go to Ukrainian people.